Hello and welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. I'm Jared Reedy, and today we continue our deep dive into the category winners of the Sustainability Awards. Next up is the brilliant Hector Abrahams of Hector Abrahams Architects, who took out the Adaptive Reuse category for his work in restoring Sue Hutton's Stevenson's Mill. Located in regional New South Wales, this project is as unique as it was challenging. We talked to Hector about the design process from start to finish, the mill standing as a cultural institution within the region, and his overall thoughts on the Sustainability Awards. Hector, how are you doing? I'm really well, thanks, Reedy. Lovely to be here. Um, great to have you. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to issue my congratulations to you on taking out the Adaptive Reuse uh, category, the Alteration Edition category at the Sustainability Awards. Uh, first, Sue Hutton's Stevenson's Mill. How was it? How was it to win? Uh, how did you feel? What was that like? Uh, we were shocked. <laughs> I, I mean, um, we were shocked. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we were delighted. Um, I thought it was obviously great for Susan and Colin the Builder, but we also felt that said something about the Sustainability Awards, that they were willing to um, look at anything, look at something in the country, um, looking something that um, um, is a bit different. Um, we thought that spoke really well. Absolutely. Um, of the awards. Um, and I noticed throughout the night that a lot of the awards went to players you don't normally um, um, come across. Mm. And I, so I kind of had the experience of being in a different crowd and I rather liked it, yeah. Great to hear, mate. Great to hear. Well, the reason you were there uh, on that Thursday night in November was for this project of yours, Stephenson's Mill uh, in Crookwell, which is an exceptionally significant uh, purpose design mill that was built in 1871 in a vernacular architectural style using local bluestone walling 600 mils thick. So before we sort of get into the specifics of the project itself, Hector, Adaptive reuse and heritage building seem to pique your interest, both yourself and as a practice. What what draws you to them? We only do old buildings. Um, I grew up in a country town, uh, a country city in the Hunter Valley, uh, where the mindset was that if something exists, then you keep going with it. That was the mindset. Um, and I think that's still the mindset in the country in New South Wales. Although I'm a city architect and I, you know, build in very, very built-up environments a lot, um, it's that mindset that I think belongs out there. And a lot of the projects, interestingly, on the night were not in the city. Um, they were um, coastal or inland towns. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. So country boy in the big smoke, right? Um, being able to design this project in Crookwell, which is obviously for for a lot of people out in the sticks, as we call it, what was that like? Was that a return to your roots? How did it feel? Was there like a, a certain energy or something that you felt while designing uh, or, or while, you know, adaptively reusing a lot of these elements? It was a bit, um, well, all our projects are fun, but... Um, and challenging and all the rest. This one was a little bit, had a bit of an edge on it uh, because I'd known Susan for decades and 
I knew that she had, this was her one shot to set up for herself in retirement. Um, she only had so much money. Um, she didn't just want an adaptive reuse. She wanted um, a life in a new town, in a new community. Um, she was prepared to very much get her hands dirty. So there was a lot at stake um, for her um, at, at the relationship level. Um, and that made it, we were always confident we could help. Um, she was up for it. Uh, the builder was up for it. And as it happens, um, the Upper Lachlan Shire Council were up for it too, because we, we cross some bridges you don't normally go across. Oh, I can imagine jumping through what I assume would be a multitude of various heritage regulations and whatnot. Uh, you mentioned that you do have a personal relationship with Susan, who is obviously the key occupant and obviously the client. How long ago did she approach you? Was it just an initial conversation? Uh, how, how did it come about? Uh, she will tell you the story many every time she sees you <laughs> because she is incredibly happy now. She said, I really do have friends in Crookwell and I couldn't be happier. Um, she's um, she's a nurse by training, so she's not, not someone who's ever sought anything for herself. Um, and to get this kind of um, profile and recognition is rather strange, uh, but she likes it. She's quite good at it. Um, she rang me because she had seen it advertised. I was kind of the last call she was going to make because she felt that everyone had told her responsibly that it wasn't zoned for residential, you couldn't do it. And instead I said, oh, that's a lovely mill. <laughs> she, she keeps repeating those words back to me. Um, so her heart was in it from the start. I said, look, we can, we can, um, we can do something notwithstanding the zoning. And she was up for it. Um, Jared, she, she, um, so much so that she, she signed the contract before really getting in. She just did it on trust. Mm. How good is that? Talk about confidence. So talk me through the zoning issues that you guys encountered. Why were other people reluctant for her to acquire the mill? Um, it had been on the market for years and years and years. The agent had very responsibly pointed out to all takers that it was zoned commercial, not residential. Um, any good architect will tell you there's a provision in local planning rules for what's called incentives in heritage. And those incentives are a bit of a um, a bit of a, 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 um, a public social contract. Um, if you can um, demonstrate that what you want to do is important to conserving the item, then council have the freedom to um, particularly allow uses that aren't used under the under the zoning, but also there are other freedoms that council can afford you. And they did afford you in this case. Um, so it puts you very much on the conservation path. You have to uh, you have to do your research. You have to um, uh, do a lot of standard conservation uh, protocols and so on. Uh, but it, it's lovely because it becomes a negotiation. So much consent these days is about compliance, but this is a more like um, consents used to be where you turn up and talk to council and, and get a result. And that's what we did. Council had a, a very good heritage advisor. She's now 
passed away, sadly, but um, she was, again, high trust. As soon as she knew that we were involved, she was happy to entertain this kind of um, incentive. And what it means is, long and short, um, Susan was given a list of things she had to do to repair the building, and in return, she could use it as a house. So it's actually not changed its zoning. Um, it still is zoned commercial, um, but she can live in it um, under a consent. Mm. You obviously, as we spoke about, you have a lot to do with these conservation heritage projects. Have you ever come across a project where you've actually been able to sit with a heritage advisor, have the conversations that you have had, and it's ultimately just if you hold up your your side of the bargain, we'll do our bit? Oh, look, it's been a long time since I've really had those conversations um, mm -hmm. because the consent space, like I said, is fairly... Um, um, or how would you describe it? No, it, it, it it's fairly um, prickly and and standoffish. You know, people standing away at ten paces. But um, but I, I think there are in certain councils are very um, good at this. If, they, if you find the right people, it's like life, isn't it? If you find the right people, uh, you can normally have a good a good principled conversation and get somewhere. Um, Upper Loughlin Shire Council, um, to give them their credit, uh, they may be small and they're not rich, but they do have professional staff of a good standard. I think a lot of country towns invest in that way. They they make sure they're a nice place to live and they do usually have a, one or two really good senior, a senior planner or a good water planner or something. And that's true of Upper Loughlin, um, all the planners, um, we're like that. Um, so I guess a lot of ducks lined up for Susan. Well, let's let, let's talk about the mill itself. So the place was built in 1871, and for that reason, I've got little doubt that it would have had a certain air or, 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 or energy to it. What was it like stepping into the mill for that first time when you experienced it? It's... It's a big object. <laughs> so when you meet it on the outside, it's a bit like standing next to a big truck. <laughs> and, and a truck with sort of canvas sides because it's got it's got texture. It's built of um it's built of blue stone that's chipped and it's not sawn, it's just a rough stone. So it's like standing next to something big. So it's got it occupies space. Um, um all old buildings have a kind of aura about them because of their differentness. Um and this one's the same. Um, this one's a little bit um, unusual in that it's not parallel to the town streets. It's off on a off on its own little life. We're never sure why it was like that, but it's so it's it's like that. Um, it felt um, I love that feeling in old buildings of them being. Um, it comes from being different, but it, their feeling of being is almost something. Um, Oh, mysterious might be too big a word, but do you know what I mean? It's, it's it's like seeing a very old car. You know, it just it comes from a different era and comes with something. Yes. Because of that, and and we just uh, yeah. So that's what it felt like. It was a little bit tragic. Um, it had been set up for a museum in the 1990s, but didn't actually stay open. Um, and yeah, so it was a bit rugged. 
Okay. Well, therefore, obviously, Sue would have had ideas of what she wanted to do and how she obviously wanted to transform it from sort of this commercial, yeah, formerly I, I, commercial I, I, I into it. Through it. So on the outside, just one door and, a, and an external hardwood staircase to a higher up door. Um, so you go in the bottom floor, it's one single space, nine metres by 10 metres, undivided, mm. no windows. And in that space is a an Oregon staircase, open tread staircase going upstairs to, and that's where it gets good. You go up to a double height space. That's where all the equipment was right. for milling, milling of wheat into flour. Um, and that's where the upstairs um, staircase gets you. And that space does have windows. It's got about, oh, it'd probably seven windows, but they're only small and they're sprinkled around. They were designed to light the equipment at certain points and nothing else. Wow. Um, and, and it was double height space. So um, it became pretty obvious to Sue, Susan and myself that, she had to become a new 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 York loft dweller, um, and and you know she couldn't. I said to her, "You can't do the project home thing, Sue. You've got." To, and she was by this time she'd taken so many jumps. She was happy to take some more. Um, oh, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Talk talk me through the brief. Was there a brief, or given obviously your personal relationship with Sue, was it more just a discussion, or was it? Obviously, you talk about the lack of windows oh. and therefore natural light and ventilation. Was it was it almost there in plain sight? What 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 you had to do? She had very strong ideas. She wanted a bedroom, and she she had to have a bathroom near the bedroom. She's not young. Um, she didn't have to have a lift, but she wanted to be able to put a lift in one day if she could. She had to be able to have her things. So she's a person who bought furniture with her and bought. Um, she has a um, a very high skill in in a certain sort of patchwork. She's a teacher of patchwork, uh, so she needed space for that to happen. She needed space for classes that she can teach to happen. Um, uh, like I glad to say, like a lot of Australians, she wanted you know a water tank and a solar energy. She had all those things inside her head. Um, she wanted to be out of work really well. She had grown up in, she lived in many different countries. She's lived in Africa and she lived in New South Wales. She's lived in different climate zones. Um, so she was very aware of, of the need for um, meeting Rookwell's climate as well. Does that does that help? Of course. Of course it does. So talk me through the next stages from obviously Sue's ideas, you know, whether it be re responding to that brief, I suppose we'll call it. What what was the next step? Well, what a conservation program does is start with the building and the client at the same time. So we go down there and we measure the building very carefully. We research its history. So we present Sue with a set of measured drawings. Um, and we when we, we put some sketches to her about where the opportunities were. So we do what's called an opportunities analysis uh, for space. Um, and also constraints. Uh, so we do um, do that in diagram form, and we sit down with her and we present those to her. It's got a bubble diagrams to scale, um, and then we say um, these are. This is how you, you're looking for the sweet spot. You're looking for the the designer is the architect, but the designer is also a way the building is a designer. It's telling you the way it wants to be, uh, both spatially but also in materials. 
certain sorts of materials you can put into a, a wonky old building and certain sorts you can't. Um, Timber is very important for that reason because a good carpenter can manipulate it very easily on site and make it fit. Um, she gave us some um, style is important in buildings. I don't think it gets talked about enough, actually. Um, so she wanted a certain feeling in the room. She wanted a certain feeling in her house. She gave us photos of books um, with photos of things that she thought might be appropriate. And we discussed the vibe uh, and made sure that that was going to work for her and work for the building. Yeah. Um, Brilliant. So at what point do you begin to start looking for elements that you can reuse or repurpose? Was it was it upon your initial visits? Uh, I didn't have to look. It was more the opposite. I had to – we were going down in the car with her. It was a sort of two-and-a-half-hour drive, and we get to talk about the, the abstract things like you're asking me about, and – and it was more a case of me stopping her from acquiring secondhand things. Um, she was uh, excited and started saying, oh, I found this, I found that, I found the other. Um, so I had to say to her, well, let's agree on a policy, Sue. Um, you know, um, we're very happy to have secondhand things in it, but they actually have to, they have to be uh, fit for purpose, for this purpose, not just because you like the idea of secondhand things. <laughs> so we we did go to join old old demolition yards together and we did look at stuff and some and we would put it put that test to it. Uh, but I think that's a mistake that gets made in adaptive reuse. Um, um, sometimes any old thing will do is the policy, and I'm not sure that does work. And there's another policy we don't have is with um, as long as it's different, it'll do sort of there's a well, bit of obsession with that it has to be different. Um, yeah, of course. But um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the ideal material, does it? No. And 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 sometimes that that's the curse of the contemporary. The contemporary is is something we all know and want, but sometimes it's also the temporary. So you come back in 10 years' time and it just looks like, oh, how 1970s was that? Um, so we, we're wanting, I said to her, you really want something that's durable, that if, if someone comes back in 50 years' time, um, what you did to it will look and feel um, integrated and whole. Um, um, and that's a big theme in sustainability, isn't it? But the, the feeling of wholeness. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk through these reused elements. So I'm looking at this now, and obviously there's a 70-year-old recycled turpentine timber from what looks like the Goulburn Seaford Ovals Cricket Grandstand, is it? Uh, there was also bricks that were sourced from a derelict farmhouse in Gullen Flats. Um, yeah, there were some important principles at work. So we said we got principles in working in the country about, and this is to do with transport cost and skill transfer cost. Um, so the principle was if the first source has to be on the site, the second source in the town, the third source in the district, the fourth source, and, and that goes for materials and for labour and skill. Um, so local builder in this case from Goulburn, local engineer from Goulburn, um, all the building materials are required locally except for the new metal roofing um, obviously, the mass-produced things like conduits, but even in that case, sourced from the local Bunnings, not 
poured in from Bunnings at Canberra, um, which is happens a lot in the country. You still you get you do get um, transport um, unnecessary steps. Um, mm. um, the I guess there was a kind of um, make good about that flooring. Um, Colin, the builder, had won a tender to do renovation of a grandstand in Goulburn. Um, the, the entity that was tendering it put no value on the hardwood that was in the grandstand, and Colin won the tender because he valued the hardwood and knew he could sell it on. It was worth tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so it was, that's one of those, those sort of moment-in-time stories where everyone in the sustainability room go, yeah, that's worth $30,000, whereas the, um, the culture of the person writing the spec in this case um, didn't understand that. Um, mm. That's good because Colin won the tender and Sue got to use some of this um, turpentine, which is just fantastic. So there's a real circular economy happening. Um, I think a circular economy feeling is very, very um, country headspace um, and, and most people understand it without any difficulty at all. I'm Brank Homolytic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. Absolutely. I just want to backtrack a little bit. Um, you, you spoke about sourcing local products, you could, utilizing local talent, whether it be engineers, um, builders, etc. Is that a mantra that you've always adopted? In the country, yes. Um, in the city, the mantra is more um, a bit different. Um, it's very hard in the country to source um, skills and labor in a timely fashion. Um, you have to have a lot of time on your hands. Fortunately, Sue did. Oh, she didn't, she didn't. Um, she had to move in, so she camped there for two winters. That was pretty awful. Oof. Um, but um, tough person. Um, and and she did it. She, she sourced things from the local men's shed, so the light fittings were made out of salvaged roof timbers and made into light fittings at the local men's shed, uh, ditto the table, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Sue's a real um, worker of, of community. You know, she'll, she'll ask the question, she'll go places, she'll seek it out. That's good. Um, I think the thing that, that really, she did stuff I could never imagine you do. Uh, she, we eventually had to decide to, to take the colour roof off because it wasn't, um, put on adequately, and she found someone who wanted it for bushfire relief down on the south coast. So the colour bond got um, upcycled down on the south coast, uh, and she that? even found the transport um, to put this colour bond from Brookwell down to, I think, near Eden. Sensational. Um, so um, obviously we are looking at turpentine, bricks, hardwood timbers, recycled light fittings. Uh, there was even basalt that was sourced that's been reused. Uh, talk me through the repurposing of these elements. Was it, was, was it, were they difficult to repurpose uh, or, or was it quite a simple process? The decision, like you were saying before, um, certain decisions 
free it up. So the decision to rely on timber and carpentry, and so you've got a carpenter who's making things on site, um, meant that that turpentine became much more viable because of that being joined to having the skill on the site. Um, with the roofing, what turned that was Sue's networks. She had the right networks. Um, the really, um, the really important and 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 heritage important and cost important um, move was to do with the roof timbers. Um, the first engineer that looked at it condemned the whole roof and said you need a new one. And and Sue Sue and the architect and the builder just didn't accept that. So um, another engineer was eventually found, um, and and she was prepared to. This is back to what I said about headspace. Um, she came from space where she was prepared to assess a structure that exists and suggest creatively ways to um, make that structure continue in its performing. And she did so by introducing. It's a little bit unusual. She introduced hanging beams on the long axis. So the hanging beams are about ten meters long. Mm. Uh, and they are secondhand hardwood from the, from the mid-north coast. Um, the builder was clever enough to crane them in and strong enough to manhandle them in. Um, wow. So that saved. So um, that's another example of one strategy releasing the value, in this case, um, the conservation of all the roof trusses. So if you see the photos on the architecture and design website, um, you'll see all the roof is clamped together by these steel clamps. It's sort of belts and braces. Um, Looking at it as we speak. <laughs> uh, and that's what that is. That's that's a struct. That's a that's all band aids. They're very nice, um, very nice band aids to hold this thing together, which had uh, distortion issues and all the rest. I guess there was a little bit of um, argy bargy with the builder um, as to how straight this was all going to be, um, and a good builder has it in his blood to make things straight, uh, but this was um, looking very wonky. But surprisingly, when when the engineers' bracings went in, um, the roof um, the roof straightened itself to a large degree. It all it all eased itself back into a much more plumb situation to the point where Colin was happy to go home and felt he was a proper builder. Um, and, and, <laughs> And and it's just I know there's almost a kind of being alive um, uh, thing about an old building, um, and that's yeah. So that we we what I'm wanting your your listeners to understand is you, you don't have to just be romantically in love with old buildings or something. They actually do have real uh, practical values in, in yeah. that you can resource. You can access those values um, and. All you've got to do is is change your headspace, I think, and say, we are going to look at this animal for what it is, not for what we don't want it to be or or what we would prefer it to be for but for what it is. and and that's 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 what all this is all about, um, seeing something for what it is um, and and that's what turns it around. Sensational, mate. Um, let's talk about some new elements. Obviously, we've spoken about some recycled and reused ones. Uh, you created new sarkings, new eaves linings, and uh, and new window sashes. How difficult did you find it to design these elements for for a building that was built in the 19th century? Well, I found it a bit difficult actually because I come from um, 
uh, I come from uh, um, a quite a conservative background in in architecture with museum work and so on. So to actually sort of change very important details on a building is something I'd normally resist. But we certainly had to change the eaves detail on this colonial building because it had to be sealed. Flour mills aren't particularly sealed. Um, and, and Colin was pretty insistent on taking up, taking out material that I didn't want to take out. Uh, but look, it wasn't that hard a negotiation. Um, and again, the principle at work was to, yes, if you have to make an incision, it's a bit, a bit surgical. If I have to cut open the heart, I will. I will change something inside. In this case, the way the eaves sealed the building got changed. Um, the colonial look of the building is is the same in atmosphere, but it doesn't have the primitive nature that it once had. It's, it's now more, a bit more dressed up, a bit more sealed. Good tick, um, but most people wouldn't know. Um, uh, so yeah, Colin really led that process. Um, uh, the same with the windows. There was no the windows weren't so hard. Um, Fortunately, they were made locally. They were made in Goulburn. There was a joinery shop in Goulburn that made them. Brilliant. Uh, they're triple glazed, I think. And Sue painted them herself. Um, and the insulation between the rafters was um, a willingness on our part to go to um, high tech. So they're now um, extruded poly um, panels. We chose them because of their high performance and because they're squishy and you can fit them between the irregular spacings of the rafters. Um, and, and so, um, and also they're not eaten by rodents. Most insulations um, are chosen for their ratings, but I think if you were to choose insulation based on whether a rat or a mouse or a cockroach will live in it, most of your options actually collapse um, and there's only about three that pass that test. Um, so um, we learned that during this process as well, because the country people were saying, well, we had a mouse plague. So we yeah, just made there that was fluffy. Um, there was obviously the issue of a lack of natural light and ventilation. Obviously, you mentioned um on that on the bottom floor and then up top it was a little bit better what did you did you make any incisions in order to increase light and ventilation on that ground floor uh we did on the top floor we added one two three four skylights right um, and they distribute the light evenly across the room uh, it's very successful the room feels daily but not but in a calm way um downstairs no we've left it dark okay um, yeah was um, that was that heritage regulations or was that was that was that sue's wishes or did you think it was just best to leave it as it was well it was a money thing we got consent for some big windows but right. in, we didn't do them um yeah pretty straightforward story at that point understandable understandable obviously we've reused a lot of a lot of materials and that will obviously drive down the emissions of the entire project, but obviously the thing's still got to run. Uh, talk me through the low-tech energy systems that we use to address, obviously, the fact Crookle's a pretty cold place. 
um, what, what, have, what have you got there to heat the place up and, and to power it and, uh, and, and, and sort of water systems as well? Fortunately, Crookwell is in a, um, a hot spot for wind-powered energy. Um, and they've got wind farms on a big scale. So it, uh, most of the power in Sue's mill is recycled, uh, or is wind-powered um, electricity. The heating is um, high no less than three high-performance wood combustion stoves. Um, Sue, that's culturally relevant. Sue grew up with them. Her mother cooked on one. Oh, wow. um, the country town has an industry that that produces the fuel um, locally, and we thought that was the best option. Uh, so there's no gas in the house. Um, solar, solar hot water. Um, um, that's just about it. Uh, so the big decision was was around uh, these wood wood stoves that the the standard that was brought in for wood stoves in Australia, and I think. 2009 has meant they've really leapt forward in their design. Their efficiencies are amazing. Um, the thing that we learned to do was to make sure they were sized exactly for the space that they are intended to hit. Um, and so they must be run optimally. Um, and, and, and in this case, they are. Um, it's very, very successful. Um, it suits Sue's lifestyle she's sedentary so she can heat the thing basically she starts the stoves up at the start of winter and they never stop until and the, and the the 600 millimeter bluestone walls have got as you would expect um all the thermal mass that you could ever ask for so the place stays stays warm with a surprisingly low amount of uh, energy input it's almost a rammed earth wall in itself, the the, the blue stone. But what about in the hotter months? Um, is the place well ventilated? Is there any sort of artificial cooling? It's not needed. It, the walls are so thick. Um, the heat load is so low. Um, the roof insulation is so good. Um, nothing's needed whatsoever. Um, in fact, it snowed there yesterday. Um, Crazy. We're talking on December the... 14th. 15th. Yeah. Um, so, um, no, it's not that hot. <laughs> no, clearly not. It does have a nice, uh, there's a ruin out the back that's now a, a walled garden, and that's important in Crookwell, which is very windy. Mm. Uh, and in the front yard, uh, there's no lawn. Um, we, we just laid down gravel. Um, so there's no lawn. The only thing she tends in the garden are her beloved flowering plants and roses. Um, the rest of it is zero maintenance. Can't um, ask for much more than that. And, uh, yeah, I, I was really into saying to Sue, don't pretty the place up. It's a mill for crying out loud. <laughs> and, uh, and she was up for that. Um, um, I mean, there are things in it that are very sentimental and they're important to her and that's that's all good and that needs to be there. Um, people absolutely love it. Um, um, the town feels... A bit better about themselves. They feel good enough about themselves as it is, but they feel even <laughs> about themselves. Um, and and yeah, it's just it's just worked. Karen. It certainly has. Um, obviously, you say that the town is obviously uh, pretty stoked with it. Uh, what's the, what's what's the feedback you get from Sue? 
Well, the nicest thing she says, well, I, I'm very happy here and I have friends in Crookwell. So she made a lot of friends through the process. Awesome. Um, she has a lot of community links. Um, she has little parties in the place because it's got the open plan. Um, you can have a party for the builder and all the tradespersons. You can have a party for the uh, friends from church. Um, you can have a party, you know, just it's nice. And, and, um, and I, I'm also really chuffed that she comes to all, all the uh, awards functions in these big foreign spaces. And she's not the sort of person who's ever been in a hotel ballroom, you know, with all the tables and everything, um, and nor the builder really. But we're having a ball, <laughs> and um, and we're just feeling like we're part of part of our lives have got bigger. Hmm. It's, hmm. Um, so it's really great sustainability Australia for this. That's lovely. For sure. I mean, I um, I look at obviously it, it's opened up a whole new world for Sue, but this is something you've been doing for a very, very long time. Obviously, it's a it's a bit of a different project, and and you sit here now with the project complete, and you don't need me to tell you you've done a sensational job, but you certainly have. What's the feeling that you have now that the place is complete? Well, I thank God for the um the way it's come together. Um, there are so many ways in which um, it could have faltered, but it didn't. Um, um, I feel, and we're we're kind of fortunate in another way in that living in country towns through the life of this project when it was conducted and through COVID, living in country towns has now become appreciated by a lot of people in New South Wales. Um, and um, and no, I'm pleased about that because it did cost many, many hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. And and it's become a vibrant. All country towns now are vibrant, which means that you can actually spend some money on on places in country towns now, and and be sure that that's that, that's going to be valued. It's not um, it, it's not capital down the drain. Uh, so that's been very nice. I think what we're all learning now is about sustainability. It's, we've we've got all these important tools. We've always had the tools. But now it's really getting to the messy bit. Um, we're getting the power bills. Um, uh, I think that's the new rating system is your power bill. Um, the federal government thinks this too. They've just had the parliamentarians in, I think, today to try to do something about our power bills. Um, so I'm really looking forward to um, what um, owners and designers and architects and, and your journal will show about how people are responding now to what's become a kind of immediate need rather than just a um, very, very important need. It's it's got that aspect to it now too. So I'm feeling I'm feeling the relevance of that. Hmm. Absolutely. I mean obviously there is most certainly an energy crisis in this in this country. Um, I look at obviously Sue's mill now. And um, and obviously the the way that she heats it up with these wooden stoves, is that a potential avenue for us to chase down? I think. Well, <laughs> I've been buying one for my own place, and and there's an awful lot of shops selling them in the city and the country. Um, um, and it's interestingly enough that cast iron stoves are made in almost every continent of the world. Um, so many products as us architects use um, only come from one place, but 
this is a strange animal that it is made in every continent and many, many different um, makers. Um, so, yeah, I think that they will form part of just the menu or the smorgasbord of things that get used. I don't think heating is going to be a big issue for a lot of New South Wales. Um, we're a temperate climate, uh, but it will it will be an issue for um, the higher subalpine areas of which this is one. Yeah, they're very specific. I think that the insulation, the value of insulation and the value of sealing the building to an extent has been proven. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that's all been normalised through BASICs in New South Wales. That's no one's fighting that anymore. Um, I think people's just got to change their behavior. I think the heating, uh, the energy use, particularly energy use for toys and, and things that require power inside a house, that's going to be the real pain point. You want to save your energy bill, you can't do so much um, big screen TV. Well, there you have it. There you have it. Hector, I think that's um, I think that's time for us, mate. Thank you so, so much for coming on today. Really, really appreciate your time. Congratulations again on the uh, on the Adaptive Reuse Award. And more importantly, uh, congratulations on completing what is an absolutely outstanding project. Oh, thank you very much. And thank you to Architecture and Design. No worries at all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine. Mm -hmm.